Hey, this is John from The Bible Project, and today we're going to release another question and response episode that we did on YouTube here on the podcast so that you can listen to it and enjoy it without watching a YouTube video. This question and response was on the topic of holiness. So some of the questions we answered were, does holiness mean perfection? How could uh, some ground be holy ground like Moses and Joshua encountered in the Bible when God is everywhere? Shouldn't everywhere be holy? In the New Testament, is the focus on holiness mainly moral purity? Since God's holiness is dangerous, how are people in Genesis able to interact with God? And John says God is love, but Isaiah says God is holy, holy, holy. Is this a contradiction? We'll jump into all of these questions. Looking forward to it. Here we go. So we're going to talk about holiness today. Yes. And that's yeah. why we've got this that's poster. Why we got the holiness poster. Um, we're going to talk about um, this idea of God's holiness and what what is this sun with with circles mm-hmm. around it mean? If you've watched the video, you know mm-hmm. what that means. Mm-hmm. We're going to answer your questions, which are coming in. Keep sending us li- uh, live chatting yep. your questions, and we'll look at those. Um, we're really I'm really happy with it. Um, holiness is one of these biblical religious words that. You know, no, nobody uses the word except religious people. Yeah. Or about religious people. Like the phrase, uh, It's you a know, negative he, thing. He thinks he's holier than thou, you know, is a phrase that many non-religious people might use to kind of make fun of religious people. But it's the, the biblical uh, concept itself is just completely foreign. And unfortunately, I think for most uh, religious people, it gets reduced to moral goodness, right. which is why we start. That's what I think about video. when yeah. I think about being holy. So when Jesus says, "Be holy," as God is holy, Jesus says that. Does he say that? <laughs> well, he said, "Be uh, complete." Be complete. Or perfect. Right. We'll here. Yeah. But he uses the word holy, but right? Peter, Peter, in his letter says, "Be holy as God is holy." Oh, He's that's quoting Peter. a line from Leviticus. Okay. Yeah. It's in the Bible. Jesus doesn't say be holy. He says he doesn't use the word holy. He uses the word clean, pure, and impure okay. to talk about foods and then the state of people's hearts. But holiness, off the top of my head, the teaching of Jesus where he t- says be holy. Yeah, he says be perfect. That's what he I'm says, thinking. Be of. perfect that's is what the I'm New of. International Version <clears throat> and that, translation. And, of okay, it. Yeah. okay, that's what be I'm. Be perfect saying. as your heavenly Father. And that's not the word holy. Different. Yeah. Different word. Different word. But regardless, Peter says, "Be holy." Yeah, he's voting. He's yeah. quoting from Leviticus, and um, and growing up in the church, to me, that meant mm. be a good person, don't do lame things, mm. um, and that's being holy. It is moral, moral purity. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So with most of biblical concepts, usually. You know, in, in the popular imagination, there's some truth reflecting what the Bible says about it, but it's usually a half-truth or it's a really reduced version of it. And so common assumptions about what holiness is is a good example of that, where it's such a big, huge, rich idea in the Bible, and moral goodness is one piece of it. But it's a piece that only comes, and you can really only sta- understand what it is if you get the whole big story okay. and the idea around well, it. Well, Sean Horton actually has a question that will help tee that up. Okay, So Sean. Sean Horton asks, 
In the Bible, does the idea of holiness mean perfection? Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Or does it just mean separated, cut apart from? I, yeah. I've heard that before growing up in the church, that holiness means be, being set apart. Yes. Yeah, that's, it. That, that's the most basic meaning of the word. So in Hebrew, three quarters of the Bible, uh, the word's kadosh uh, for holiness in okay. Hebrew. That's and Hebrew so word. that's the main one we're operating with. And so um, the idea at its core, yes, means to be distinct or unique from, set apart, something that's set apart. So that's where we actually began the video, was with this metaphor of the sun. Um, because, the, you know, I don't know. The um, sun. Yeah, the sun. This so, is the sun. So uh, holiness can refer to all kinds of things in the Bible. It can refer to a day on the calendar, a room, a space, certain hmm. kinds of people, forks can be holy. Hmm. So, but why is something holy? Something is holy in the Bible always because it's in some close relationship to God. Okay. And so anything, anything that's holy, its holiness is derivative. It's set apart because it's connected closely to God, who is the ultimate, holy, unique, one-of-a-kind, set-apart being. Um, there is a place in the Old Testament where all of that gets condensed into a really helpful place. We made it a centerpiece of the video. That's Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah has a vision of God's throne room. And he hears these angelic creatures screaming out that God is kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Um, he's holy, holy, holy. And then those creatures explain what that means. They say that the whole earth, all of creation, is filled up with God's uh, kavod, with his, his glory. glory. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a lot of concepts overlapping here. But it's God's role as creator. So God is the one and only being with the power and creativity to make everything that is, so that creation is a testament to God's honor and glory and goodness. And so what is it that makes God kadosh? What makes him set apart? Um, he's the only, he is the creator. Yeah. Like no one else on the planet or in the universe that we know of right. could create yes. this reality. Yeah. To, That's to, unique to, to live God. in the universe is to be a create, created thing. A created thing. Yeah. So, there's, so everything has something in common, which is we've all been created. Yes. Except for God. So that sets them apart. That's right. Which is really significant. That's right. So what's important about that vision of Isaiah is it's giving us the core grounding idea of what it means for God to be holy. He's set apart. He's other from all created things as the author and creator of all of life. Um, so that's the, the core idea. And so that's good. God's holiness is good. We exist because of it. Okay. It's right. his power and creativity. And, and, and to bring it back to the sun, mm -hmm. the sun's a good metaphor because yeah. there's only one sun in our solar system. Correct. And so it's unique. Mm -hmm. It's the only one. But it's unique also because it's emanating an energy that creates, gives, gives the ability for life. That's right. And so the metaphor breaks down. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect metaphor. It's not perfect, but it's a good one. But I'm in the same way the sun creates 
life, is the originator of life. It's not really the originator, but yeah. it, it creates it's a source it's a, of life. It's source of life. It sustain, and it sustains yeah. life here. No yeah. sun, yeah. we're gone. <laughs> right? I don't know yeah. how quickly yeah, we would all right. disappear. But um, it would take seven minutes for, the, for us to notice the sunlight was gone. Oh, that's a good point. Because that's how long it takes. To, to get to yeah. Earth. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but so, so that's how God is holy. But so let me ask mm. you then, um, what, how are we supposed to be holy? What does that mean? We can't be a creator, originator, sustainer of Correct. life like God. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. What does that so mean? yeah. So the idea of holiness then um, is that for something to be holy, like in the Bible in Israel, it means for somebody to have some kind of special relationship with the Creator God that brings you into proximity of God's presence. Um, and that gets concentrated in all of the ideas around temples in the Bible. That temples are this unique place where the one and only holy God takes up a unique and special kind of residence. And if you want to go close to the temple where God's holy presence is, you, you, you can't just waltz in there as if it's any other place. You have to acknowledge its uniqueness. I'm entering in, just, just like uh, you would probably wear a suit if you got invited to have dinner with the president or something mm -hmm. like that. Right. I never wear suits. I hate wearing suits. I think they're the most oppressive clothing in the world. But I would wear a suit to acknowledge the unique status, the holy status. Would you wear a tie? Of the, of, totally. Yeah. Wouldn't you? I don't know. It's a little baller just to kind of have the <laughs> collar open. Yeah. No, dude. <laughs> you don't pull any creative stuff when you have dinner with the president. All right. So it's the same idea. I acknowledge God's uniqueness by treating this space as sacred, holy. And so any person who goes into that space, the clothes that you wear, the, the state of being that you're in, all so, of that has to be So when we're called to, to be holy in Leviticus, <laughs> mm -hmm. when the ancient Israelites were told to be holy, that was them not trying to be like God and create universes. It was <laughs> yeah. to put themselves in a state in yeah. which they can respect and honor God's holiness. That's right. So it's different for a human to be holy than for God, for God to be holy. Yeah, hum, human holiness is always derivative. It's a response to Derivative, God's... explain what that means. Oh, it, it means uh, God is the source of holiness. Okay. And if I want to become holy, it's by honoring and acknowledging God as the creator and author of life. And I'm going to disassociate myself from anything that uh, is anti-life. Okay. So Israel had a whole set of cultural symbols to right. do this mm -hmm. that the book of Leviticus talks about. So if you've touched dead bodies or reproductive fluids or blood or mold, um, you can't just waltz into the temple courtyards. Um, that is wrong. It's not wrong to have touched those things and be impure. What's wrong is to be in an impure state and waltz into holiness. So I just want to make sure I'm really clear on this. Yeah. For God to be holy, he's uniquely the creator, sustainer of life. Correct. For us to be holy means something mm. different, which yes. is yes. we are putting ourselves in a position that honors God's status of mm. creator, sustainer of life, mm. and so that we can then connect with God. Um, in some way. Yeah, that's right. If I want to, the idea of the temple is if I want to enter into the closest space in proximity to God's holiness, I need to acknowledge it in a special way. Okay. Become holy 
by shedding any associations with death or mortality and corruption. I feel like it's kind of confusing it's the same word. What's that? For me to be holy, oh. God is holy, oh. I'm holy. That's interesting. Because God's holy, mm -hmm. and then I'm just respecting that holiness by being pure, right? Uh, well, cor correct. Right. Yeah, so there are different words for it. Yeah. Purity or cleanness yeah. is about, but when I put myself in a state of purity or cleanness. I'm being holy? I am becoming holy. Okay. Yeah. That's how the Bible talks Sharing in God. That's how, yeah, that's... So that's the core idea, is to be set apart. And so a priest in the Bible is somebody who is set apart to live uniquely near, near God's presence and work in it and so on. The, the, like the, the incense bowls and all of those things are holy. There's a certain kind of holy oil uh, that's burning in the incense uh, burner in the temple. And you can't make that oil for your own home. It's set apart it's set to be apart. apart yeah, this that's thing. the idea. So there you go. So that's the core idea is set apart to be in the presence of the one who is ultimately set apart as the author and creator of all of life. That's the core idea okay. of holiness. Uh, which, which then in the video we create a storyline out of by introducing a plot conflict. Which is? Which is a way of thinking about the story of the Bible, that God is the author and creator of all of life. And we need to respect that. That's right. But humans have done something to each other and to our world um, mm. that have cor that, that, corrupted it. And disrespects it. And disrespects God's holiness. And so, paradoxically, God's holiness, which is good in the source of all life, actually becomes a threat becomes dangerous. Dangerous. And that's why we, the also metaphor like the of the sun, sun is great. Yeah. Like the sun makes everything it's, grow. It's beautiful. Yeah. But get too close to it. Yeah. And it's going to Or destroy. spend a day at the lake or the beach without, <laughs> without, sunscreen. without sunscreen on and the yeah. sun will wound you. Yeah. Like hurt you. Right. Bad. Yeah. And, it's, and not because the sun is bad. It's just because the sun is what it is. The sun is so good. It's so unique and holy and powerful its power and goodness are dangerous to yeah. me as a mortal creature. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great metaphor. So, sunscreen is how you become holy. <laughs> That's now, how we become holy. No, what's interesting about yeah. the metaphor is um, uh, the sun is... Well, well let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about temples. Mm -hmm. Because temples were a specific place you had to go to, mm -hmm. to, to experience God's holiness in a very, like, specific, like, tangible... Yeah. Like, it, you, you, you wouldn't experience God's holiness in your house in the same way as the temple. Mm -hmm. However, we also know that um, God is everywhere. Mm -hmm. God's presence is everywhere. Yes, so, yes. So Dennis asked the question this way. Dennis, where? Yeah, Dennis top. Rivera, yes. Moses yes, and Joshua have encounters with God and quote-unquote holy ground, holy because God's presence is there. Mm -hmm. But if God's presence is everywhere, aren't we always on holy ground? Yes, So talk, yes. tell me about, like, why is there specific places like temples where yeah. God's presence is particularly present in holiness? But, but as Christians, don't we believe that God's everywhere? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. And the, the biblical authors um, acknowledge that. But Genesis 1 is depicting all of creation as a temple, as sacred space. That's another topic. But that is how Genesis 1, with its seven-day framework, uh, is depicting all of the cosmos as a temple. Um, but there are other places where that's acknowledged. 
Isaiah 6, the vision, all of, all of creation is God's whole, uh, handiwork. Psalm 139, David's like, where can I go and not be in God's presence? I can go, I can go up to heaven, go to them, to the depths of the sea. So there is a sense in which God's holiness and presence permeates all of creation. That's true. So all the ground is holy ground in that sense. But then there are moments and places in the story of the Bible where God's presence will become more tangible. I, we struggle for vocabulary here, but more, more present or m more tangible uh, than at other places and moments. And that's what uh, Jacob encounters in his dream in the middle of a field, or that's what Moses encounters in the burning bush. And when God's presence shows up, usually it's dramatic, Usually it's some kind of crazy natural phenomenon associated with fire and cloud and thunder and lightning. Um, so that's why the bush is on fire for, for Moses. So there you go. I'm, I don't know what else to say other than that's how the Bible depicts uh, God's unique holy presence showing up in specific places. And so then, that, then what happens is what's happening in the burning bush is then just a microcosm of what's happening in the whole story of God's whole universe. Because it's a good point. If God's whole universe is holy, then people who corrupt it um, don't really deserve to be there. Yeah. Like they should be removed. Yeah. But God is committed to sharing his holy space with people, even though they're corrupt. So how is God going to reconcile that or square, make, make that happen? And that is one way of thinking about the storyline of the whole Bible, is how a holy God is going to share his holy creation with corrupt, screwed up human beings. And so the storyline of what happens with the temple in Israel becomes like a little microcosm, a test case of what God wants to do with all of creation. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. But. So, uh, I think another question then to go, and I'm trying to feed off of what people are talking about on the live stream yes, a little bit good. too. Yeah. Um, Garen Forsyth, Forsyth, mm. Garen, um, second to the bottom there. Mm. I get the whole ceremonial purity thing. Mm. How does moral purity fit into this idea of holiness? Mm -hmm. Does the New Testament's call to be holy refer primarily to moral purity? Yep. Um, and again, I think we get so stuck in, I get so stuck thinking holiness, mm -hmm. that just means being morally pure. Mm -hmm. And so we have to take a step back first mm -hmm. and say, well, okay, holiness means God's unique position as a creator and sustainer. But for me to interact and respect God's holiness, for the Israelites, it meant two mm -hmm. separate things, really. Or two, we can think of it in two, two different categories. Two, yeah, that we talked about in the video. Right. Yes, yeah, there's ritual purity and impurity. Ritual purity. And then moral So ritual purity, purity is the things I should touch and not touch. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the, and the core symbol under those rituals is respecting God. Is God is the author of all life. Mm -hmm. And if I want to live in proximity and closeness to that being, which is, who doesn't want that? It's yeah. good. Then I need to disassociate myself from these things that are associated with death. And us as modern, non-Israelite yeah. yeah. followers of Jesus, uh, that's not in our 
cat we don't have uh, that category. Yeah, except for we talked about this in Leviticus, brushing your teeth in the bathroom. Yeah, we have an idea of like you, you, an appropriate or inappropriate well, action. The bathroom is a holy space <laughs> in in people's homes. Right. If they don't a have holy, a holy space. It's holy. It's it's set apart. It's unique and set apart. And you don't eat in the bathroom. For showering yeah. and evacuating your body of waste. <laughs> and so therefore, if you're gonna get the waste out of your body in that room, you don't put the right. food right, right. in your body. So, so we don't have a category. Totally irrational. But what I am but, the, but what right, I'm saying right. is yes. we don't live that way. We don't go to, when we go to yeah, church, yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't think like, wait, did I touch a dead body? Yeah. Maybe right. like um, you know my my grandfather did. He had this thing about never wearing hats in church. Sure. Okay. When I was a teenager, I wore a lot of baseball hats. Yeah. When we'd go. You to don't like, you don't cuss at church. You don't. There's some things you just don't do at church. <laughs> yeah, you treat it as a unique holy space. Okay. So that's ritual. That's ritual. That's period. things you do and don't do. And one of the things that you talked about was that's it's not wrong to touch a dead body. So that's it's right. not a sin. That's not a sinful issue. It's not like a, mm -hmm. did you screw up. It's just a, a ritual practice to yeah. respect the space. What's wrong or sinful is to be in that ritually impure state and then just waltz into the temple um, even though that's breaking the rules of what yeah. God asked me to do. But then there's also moral proofs. Yeah, so what happens in Leviticus specifically then is that language of pure and impure or holy and unholy, that gets applied to moral behavior. So Israel was supposed to do the ritual purity stuff, but they were also supposed to be pure in their moral behavior. And that is a way that, the, that holiness can refer to moral goodness in the Old Testament. So with regard to like um, justice and business practices, treatment of the poor, um, with sexual integrity, these were all ways that Israel was to be set up holy and set apart from the Canaanites yeah. is how it's framed in Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. And so, and what, what morally corrupt behavior does is it introduces more evil that creates more relational conflict and death. It releases that into God's good world which defiles God's world. That whole language of defiling or making impure. Um, if I bring a corpse into a temple, I've made it impure. If I go sleep with my neighbor's uh, wife and steal his donkey, living in the land of Israel, which I say is, you know, I'm part of God's holy people, what I've done is unleashed corruption and death and relational fracture into God's world. And so that is defiling the land. It's defiling um, myself and that person. So that's where the language of moral purity okay. comes into it. So there's two different kinds of purity in a yep. way. Yep. Now, is there a distinction in the Old Testament? It talks about both. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, I mean, let's just look at First Peter. Yeah. Because First Peter, yes, yes. he says, um, therefore, with minds alert, fully sober, Set your hope and grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as coming. Mm -hmm. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Evil desires, so like yep. yeah. bad, bad things. Yeah. Not like, should I touch a dead body or not? But Correct. like, should I punch that guy in the face or not? Yeah, should I, <laughs> should I cheat my neighbor? Right. Should I, yeah, that kind of stuff. So don't conform to evil desires. Yes. But just as he, he who called you is holy, 
so be holy in all you do. Mm -hmm. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that's yes. him quoting Leviticus. Quoting the book of Leviticus. So, he's, so it seems like he's drawing a, uh, a, similar, uh, a parallel yeah. yes. between don't punch your neighbor in the face, don't yeah. be yeah. immoral, yes. and evil holy. desires, yes. and being holy. Yeah. He, conflate, like he conflates the two. That's correct. And that, yeah, and he's being faithful to the book of Leviticus when he does that. Well, wouldn't Leviticus say, well, that's one sense of being holy. The other yeah. sense is don't touch dead bodies and yeah. don't... Yeah, that's right. So, but he's not talking about whether or not you touch dead bodies. Um, no. So the whole, the whole, one of the ways the apostles, the earliest followers of Jesus, worked out is that Jesus was the very embodiment of God's holiness. And so that in Jesus and the gift of his spirit uh, to his followers out in the world is that all creation is now truly God's holy space. Okay. And it's no longer just the temple. God's holy space isn't limited to one geographic place. Okay. It's everywhere. Because of Jesus and the Spirit. And so, um, uh, that's why temple length, that's why in First Peter, right mm -hmm. before then, he talks about the church, Jesus' followers, as the temple, as being the stones of this temple. And so, if, you're a, if, if we are the temple, as Jesus' followers, and if we are the priesthood who serves in the temple, mm -hmm. what kind of behavior is appropriate? And then he quotes Leviticus, being holy. Um, which, for ritual purity, then, doesn't. it doesn't apply. That was, that was a part of the story specific to Israel living in the land with the priesthood serving at the temple. But the early Christians, Jesus himself said he came as the fulfillment of all of those realities. But the moral purity is about being human. Um, it's about, it's about a way of life that fits with the grain of God's good world. It's about a way of life that brings and creates goodness. And so behaviors that destroy relationships behaviors that distort my humanity, that um, defile someone else's dignity as an image of God human, those are impure behaviors. And so that's how the language of holiness gets applied to like sin and injustice and that kind of thing. So there isn't like a separate concept of holiness between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Same concept. Same concept. But in the New Testament, when they say, be holy, yeah. no longer is it really a ritual thing anymore because right. there's no temple yeah. anymore. Yeah, and we right. are the temple, and yeah. Jesus is the temple, and everywhere yeah. God's is God's presence. So, yeah, so here's the gain, I think. In the New Testament, moral purity, holiness, does refer mostly to moral goodness. But why? And what's underneath that? What's okay. underneath it is this concept of life mm. and death. That behavior that creates goodness and life and beauty, that is appropriate behavior mm. for people who live in the universe mm. of a holy God. Mm. Behavior that des destroys relationships, that distorts my own humanity, um, this is behavior that causes death in God's good world, and it's, so it's inappropriate. Yeah. And so uh, it, it takes holiness and it puts it into the framework of a much larger story. Yeah. Not just like, be a good person, that's a bad person, you're yeah. unclean. Be a good person, check off this list of things, yeah. do the right thing because you're supposed to do the right thing, and it just becomes rote and you're just like, why? Yeah. And, but instead, this more captivating picture of uh, 
live a life that celebrates God's creativity yeah. and God's goodness, and don't live a life that fights against it and creates death. Correct. And so by me having an evil desire mm-hmm. and giving into that evil desire yeah. is playing into this this world of death. That's yeah. Anti- yeah, we all, I mean, yeah, just speaking as a pastor, you know, <laughs> we all know what those, when we each have a decision, we, and we know it, we know if I say this or do this, that person's going to be bummed, it's selfish, they're going to be hurt, but I, I, I don't want to do it, well actually I do want to do it, and then you do it, and then you have this relational rift, you've hurt somebody, uh, you've acted in a way that actually in the long term is going to be destructive for you, but we do it anyway. Like we know what, on a, on a visceral level, we know that when we behave in these destructive ways, we're participating in death and in subhuman ways of behaving. And so that's what this is about. It's that holiness is actually the way that I become truly human because I'm becoming like the author of all of life. I'm participating in love and beauty and healthy relationships. So this is a very, it's a very powerful concept that gets trivialized, I think, when we only think about holiness as just be, be a good person. Yeah. This is about what it means to really be a human who lives in a world made by the holy and, and good God. Does holiness, okay, so here's another question. Question, yes. Lamid, Lamid King? L-A-M-I-D-E. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Mm. Mm-hmm. Does holiness have to do with just a separation of heart or mm. also a separation of lifestyle? Mm. And I think embedded in this question is knowing mm. that holiness means being set apart. Oh, right. So when we're holy, mm. are we trying to s- separate ourselves? Because mm. that's something that we yes, talk about in yes, the church yes. yeah. of being, being a, a city on a hill, mm-hmm. right? Being set apart so when people look at you and the way that you are living, they mm-hmm. can honor God. They, they see God mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that why to, we, to be holy yes. is, to, to, is to go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be different than the rest of this world. Yeah. And um, in some way now, I'm, I'm separated. Yeah. There's like almost like a caste system now <laughs> in a way of like, yeah, yeah. you know, you're unholy, I'm holy. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Yeah, in Leviticus, right on through the New Testament, there are some things that Israel and then followers of Jesus were to not do to set themselves apart from the culture around them. And that was one way of being holy. So the main ones highlighted, actually, in the Old and New Testaments is what God's people do with money, what they don't do with money, and what they don't do with sex. Something, there's something about, sex, yeah, something about sex and money that tell the truth about a person's ultimate value system. Hmm. And so Israel uh, was to be a nation f- known for extreme generosity and care for their poor and vulnerable. Hmm. And they were to be a nation of people committed to m- monogamous covenant relationships as the only place where people have sex. In to reproduce other humans in the context of covenant families. So that set Israel apart. It sets the followers of Jesus apart in the first century and the 21st century still today. And, and that's because there are things that humans do with money that are extremely destructive. I don't think I need to make an argument for that. There are things 
that people do with sex that are very destructive. And God's people are to not participate in that. But then on the flip side, there are things that God's people are to do, not just not do, but they're to do them, because, and that will also set them apart. So if they're not to be unjust or corrupt with money, they are to, um, with like generosity for the poor. Generosity to the poor is to set apart God's people um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, so that's a good example. That's something God's people do that sets them apart, whereas sex and corruption and theft and so on with money, those are all ways that you don't do something. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So there is, embedded into being holy, is being separated. Yes. Because to, to do these things, it's going to separate you yeah. from... So it's not people. as uh, Lamid, or, sorry, we don't know how to pronounce your name, Lamid, Lamide, hello. It's more than just a heart disposition. It's a way of life. It is a lifestyle. God's, God's people are set apart as a way of life by things that they don't do, that everybody else is doing, and by things that they do that no one else is doing. Hmm. That's how God's people mark, mark out themselves as holy. Cool. Yeah, good question. So uh, Aurelia D., you've asked some great questions in the last couple months. Um, you raise an issue about holiness in the book of Genesis, specifically, since God's holiness is dangerous in a good way. Yeah. Um, how, is anything well, ever dangerous in a good way? Well, well, it's like Aslan. Yeah. What's, that, what's a quote from... Oh, yes. Um, uh, he's is, not... Is he safe? Is he safe? I forget. He's Maybe not Lu safe, Lucy but he's good. He's safe. Is he a tame lion? No, he's not a tame lion. But he's good. Yeah. 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 Similar. It's good quotable. Very yeah. similar. So, since God's holiness is dangerous, how were people in Genesis able to interact with God before the laws about ritual purity were given. It's interesting. Here's why it's interesting is that you're right. Abraham, for mm. example, he didn't have. Yeah, he's depicted as just like hanging out with God. Mm. It, it's in over the, the the stories are condensed from decades of his life, and there's just actually a handful of times. So it's very rarely that he had these conversations with God, but he did. Like Genesis 15, God shows up in a flaming appearance. Yeah. Um, and he didn't have to make special sacrifice. He didn't have to, like, wash his body. Well, he, he did have to sacrifice some animals. Oh, okay. And they have this covenant-making ceremony That's true. where he cuts the animals in yeah. half. And then um, he passes out on the ground. It's a really <laughs> interesting story. Um, but so, so I think the, the point, it's a, it's a good question. Like, why wasn't Abraham incinerated or why didn't he have to do what Moses did? So there's something that uh, the, the Torah, a point the Torah is trying to make about how God related to Abraham. It was a very simple, natural, intimate relationship that in that story in Genesis 15, the author describes that Abraham's posture towards God was that of faith or trust. And so the Torah is portraying Abraham as this model of what a relationship with God looks like. It's a this day-to-day -day life interaction, conversing with God along the way, and then unique moments and milestones where God interacts with Abraham. And Abraham's posture is just open-handed faith and trust. That's in contrast with Moses, who had the great privilege of getting closer to the sun, so to speak, 
Um, and Moses, who had this unique privileged position to be right close to God's holy presence, doesn't trust God. That's what that strange story in the book of Numbers, where he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. But God says, yeah, you don't trust me, Moses. And so the, the Torah is giving us two different paradigms of how to relate to God. Um, Abraham, who related to God simply on the basis of faith and trust, and then Moses, who didn't trust, even though he had special access to God's presence. So part of the reason, sorry, to go all the way back to your question, Aurelia, is that the, the way that the story of the Torah works is it's showing that Abraham was someone who, if the temple existed, could have waltzed right in. Mm -hmm. Because of his trust and faith in God's character, he was somebody who could be in God's presence but not have to do the rigmarole. He could have just waltzed right in? I think that's how the Torah presents it. Yeah. Really? Just, yeah. He could have just been like... He yeah. could have ignored I mean, all I, the other stuff. We're, we're not to that point in the story. Right. Um, but it is to portray, here's Moses who could go into God's presence, and he doesn't trust God. And then you have Abraham um, who didn't need any of that. Hmm. He just, uh, which is why the author of the Torah... But Abraham, the, sorry, he wouldn't yes. have just walked in. He would have gone through... Oh, that, that's true. That's right. He just like, it, exactly. If right. he, yes, but he didn't have to. But he didn't have to. He didn't have to. It's interesting. And so that's a part of the way the Torah <laughs> is emphasizing the faith theme, mm. that the ideal way to relate to God in the Torah is that you will naturally obey God's laws if you live a life of faith and trust. Yeah. That's a part of it. Anyway. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that really helps you, Aurelia, but it taps into a really important way. John Salhammer, his incredible book on the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch as narrative, explores this in a really helpful way. So, there you go. Um, let's see. Keep rocking. Keep rocking. Oh, Robin. Robin. Uh, Robin Rimple. Rimple asked a, a question I thought would start a cool conversation. Cool. Um, uh, John, in his letters in the New Testament, says that God is love. Whereas in Isaiah and other places, we hear that God is holy, holy, holy. Is this a contradiction? Or how are those related? Yeah, how could a God who is so holy that it's dangerous to humans mm. also be love? Be said to be love. Um, yeah, I'm I was trying to think. The, these words are different ways of talking about aspects of God's character. Um, so God, it's not that God is either love or holiness. Those, those are both ways of talking about the core of God's being. Just like if for you to be uh, wise and good and loving and just, if I say John, John is love. But I could also say John is just, or John is fair, or John is... We wouldn't say that in English, John is love, but you would no, say John, John is, is just. Love, and you could say John is loving. John is loving. Is yeah. that what that means when he says God is love, God is loving? Or is well, there something not, more John's making a larger claim. I think he's saying the ultimate... If you want to define the very essence of God's being that motivates everything God does, it's, it's love. It's love. So it's, love is the motivation, but holiness is like... Not really. It's not a motivation. It's a. It's almost like the essence of God's it's nature. An it's his nature. His nature as being the unique, one and only, set apart. But 
Ah, okay. Right? So that's helpful because then yes. they become complementary. It's like, yeah. so my nature is, I mean, my nature is just I'm a, I'm a homo sapien and I've got whatever, my needs and desires and whatever, that's my nature. God's nature is the creator, sustainer of life. Yes. And we'll call that holiness. Yes. My motivation might be I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm angry, I want money, whatever my motivation is, mm -hmm. or I want friends, or I want whatever. God's motivation is mm. love. Correct. Yes, b because a holy God could act in all kinds of different ways. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. A God who's truly holy and set apart from death. Doesn't have to be loving. He doesn't have to be loving. Huh. A holy God could wipe us out for everything that we've done to his world and to each other. Mm. And he would be good and just in doing it, but he wouldn't be loving. Uh, yeah, so so yeah. love is, is something about the holy God's posture to uh, people who are screwed up. Yeah. And that's why the reason it's John... The reason John says that is... Uh, because in Jesus, the holy God is revealed as a God of love. And so, so they aren't... You could say that from our vantage point, they're in tension with each other. Because we think, well, either you're going to be holy and eradicate death and evil, or you're going to be loving, which is to forgive your enemies. And the story of the Bible is a revelation of how God is both of those perfectly. And... I'm just realizing, I mean, this is a really great question from Robin, hmm. because... Or the way she's saying, is this a contradiction? Mm. But there, it's not a contradiction, but there is tension here. There's a tension. And that tension, yeah, yeah. you explore that tension, and that, that is, in one way, a filter you can think about the entire yes, story that's right. of the Bible, yeah. is that tension. How mm -hmm. does a holy God, mm -hmm. who is motivated by love, mm -hmm. and wants to live with humans, and to mm -hmm. create with humans, how does that? How is he going to do yes. it? How is that going to work? Yeah. Because God is committed that His holiness permeates all of creation mm. and all of humanity. He's committed to that purpose for His creation. And how does He? But the question is, how will He bring that about? In a loving, in a way that honors yeah. love. Yeah. And so one way could be to, you know, wipe everybody out, just like if you flew a rocket to the sun, it, right. would, it would destroy it. What you kind of did. And so that blood. was what we tried to do in the video, the way that Jesus reversed your, what you would think a holy God would do. But in mm. fact, what this holy God wants to do is let unleash his holiness into the world in a way that it transforms and heals people rather than destroys them. Um, and, and that is, it's, you're right, it's a way of thinking about the storyline of the whole Bible. Which is why um, in the book of Isaiah, w there's this vision of God's holy presence, holy, holy, holy. And so Isaiah, right, he's freaked out because he's like, oh, no, I'm in the presence of the sun without sunscreen. <laughs> yeah. right? uh, and, but then what God actually does is come to him with his holy presence and, he and heal him of his moral corruption. And, and specifically, Isaiah is he repents. Like, this is this is really hitting a nerve with people. I mean, watching the chat, yes. because yeah. there's this tension of like, well, what's going to win out, God's love or God's holiness? And uh, oh, oh. and then Beats just yeah. just wrote this. Beats on Beats. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> name. Is God more concerned with His holiness than with His love? For example, 
oh, is love the method and holiness the priority. Ah. So like, yeah, if one had to win, which one will win? And in a way, this is another way to say like, uh, you know, uh, mm. well, like how big is hell? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that's another way to well, talk so, about so this. So part of this is it's a way of, we didn't get to this in the video because it would add another three minutes to it. Yeah. It wasn't part of the purpose. But, but it's the way that the cross fits in to the storyline because the death of Jesus becomes the way that God justly deals with death and evil and corruption. He destroys it. He puts it to death yeah. by taking that death into himself through the death of Jesus. And then in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it's about life. It's Jesus being recreated as uh, to be a part of the new holy creation. And so the way that God's holiness and love meet together is in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So God does eradicate evil from his world by, by punishing it justly. It's called the crucifixion. That's what Christians believe about the cross. And that God did that instead of doing that to all of us. And so uh, even though there's a tension, I think part of the core Christian belief is that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's holiness and love meet together perfectly um, so that he can spread his holiness through Jesus to permeate all of his creation. And so the, the question after that is simply, for me, living post-Jesus, am I going to submit myself to Jesus and what he did on my behalf, or would I rather not be a part of the holy creation he's Re trying to make. Yeah, resist it and... And if I resist it, then God will honor that choice. And here we get into the Bible's depiction of... Judgment of, of the existence, what it means to live in the contradictory... <laughs> it's a contradiction. It's living in a contradiction. Because uh, I'm choosing not to participate in the very thing that sustains my life and existence. And you're choosing not to participate in the very thing that will one day permeate all of creation. Correct. Like, yes. so what's going to happen to you? Yeah. Like, so, like, you're fighting against... <laughs> yeah. You're fighting against yeah. something that can't be defeated at this point. Because yeah. Jesus that, showed yeah. that it and that's why in the has been defeated. That's why in the teachings of Jesus and the rest of the apostles... Um, Hell is not only a future reality, it's something that I participate in and create now. Mm. That's why James says that when you um, insult your, James chapter 3, that whole thing about the tongue, he says when we curse and insult other human beings, we unleash hell into God's world. Mm. We defile people. We unleash death. And so the whole thing about the living dead, the zombies in the New Testament, mm. you can live in a state of death right now, or you can live in a state of holiness and true life right now. And then whatever future destiny is all about, it's just following through on the trajectory that a person's already on in the present. And that's why Peter says, be holy as God is holy. It's a way of becoming truly alive. Um, so, wow, so there we got on that tangent. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if, if anybody's interested, I have up on my uh, web, website, timmackey.com, mm -hmm. um, a four-hour set of lectures on heaven and hell and final judgment and so on yeah. with tons of notes. And it, it was, for me, kind of concluding a, a few years of just intense reading 
on all of that stuff in the Bible and trying to pull it together in some classes. So that's free online at timmackey.com. Yeah. Um, and I really want that material to get turned into some of the videos that we make. Oh, really? One day, yeah. Is that on our list? Well, on our, on our... yeah, when we get to like new creation, oh, okay. creation, new creation, and uh, I think we talked about when we talked about the day of the Lord mm. that we should probably do something on judgment or final judgment. Yeah. And I think this hits such a nerve is because the way that I was introduced to Christianity, most people, it's, this, the, it's the story of, are you going to go to heaven or hell? Mm. And so that question is just, yes, just yeah. so much a part of my psyche is like, yes, who's yeah. going to heaven, who's going to hell, how does yeah. that work? Yeah. And, um, and so when we start talking about these things like God's holiness, I start to think like, yeah. okay, cool, like, so, you know, what does it have to do with judgment? Um, yeah, so, so the Bible's way of telling the story is that God's committed to making all creation holy again. And for people who don't want to participate in that new creation, what is their status? And that is a, a way that's more faithful to the biblical, to the Bible, yeah. to frame it than our ideas, traditional ideas of where do you go after you die. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode. We're really thrilled to be able to put out this podcast every week now. We enjoy your feedback. We love to read your reviews on iTunes when, when you send those in. So thank you for those of you who have done that. And if you like this podcast, you can help us by, by giving a review or sharing it with other people. We have a lot of other resources on our website, thebibleproject.com. Check them out. And all of this is possible because of a growing number of supporters who generously pitch in to help this project be a success. We couldn't do it without you. So thanks for being a part of this with us.